0: How we doing church? If I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt Autry. I'm church planning pastor here at King's Church and I'm so excited to be with you guys today. I'm also excited to actually get to meet several of you for the first time after the worship service. My family has had a couple COVID positive tests over the past month and so we did our, we served our time as we like to say in our household, right? We served our time and we've been freed up so it's just the weirdest thing in the world to uh, preach and then have to leave and, and not really talk to people so I'm glad. ...for that to be over on multiple levels, right? Anyway, so happy to meet you. Now, like Josh had mentioned before, what we do each year in October is we talk about stewardship. And there's several reasons that we do that. One, there's a lot of information in the Bible about what God wants us to do with our lives... ...and also what God wants to do with our time and money. And so we we talk about that here at King's Church. We spend a few weeks talking about generosity, stewardship, and tithing... Uh, For the reasons that Josh mentioned, that God is a lavish God and he challenges us throughout scripture time and time again to be generous people and mimic his nature and he says there won't ever come a time, ever, where we can outgive him and that testimony will bear fruit in your life it has in mine, okay? So we'll talk about some of the specifics like tithe, 10% in the scripture, where is that, how does that get there? ...and all those things. We talk about it every year because we need to. In our culture in particular, right, America being the capitalistic society of the world... ...has brought unknown blessings. We praise God for that. But one of our temptations is to define ourselves by what we can do or what we have. And Jesus talks about greed, for example, a lot throughout all of the scriptures... ...or the time when he's teaching... His disciples. He talks about this notion. It can have a particularly deep grasp on our life. One of our greatest temptations is to find our satisfaction and wealth in possessions. And we sing a song here. It's a new song to us called My Worth Is Not in What I Own. And in fact, what we're doing right now is we're worshiping God, even worshiping God over His Word. And that word worship comes from an old English word that means worth ship where is your worth being going who are you And so and it also uh supports the king's church in our mission which is to make nurture equip and deploy mature disciples of jesus christ what we want to see in our church is a healthy church where god's transformation is a normal thing where we can send out everyday missionaries into their spheres of influence for god's glory and people's good and it goes to that now john chapter 3 this morning how does it make it into this idea of stewardship it's interesting what we're going to see in this passage is that john's influence john the baptist right so i'm gonna say john the baptist a lot because there's john who's writing the letter one of jesus disciples who's writing the gospel this uh the passage that we're going through john the baptist Right ...is one of the historical figures in this uh, letter... ...his influence is waning now that Jesus has hit the scene. He had lots of influence. Thousands of people are coming to see him. He has has influence over really the entire nation of Israel and beyond... ...and some of his influence is waning... ...and his disciples come and go, what's going on? And in the middle of that... ...John gives a, a shocking answer in many ways... And I think in the nature of stewardship, it answers this question for us that all of us are asking at all times. Okay? In the past month, uh, really about once a month, I, I get this question from people that I have the opportunity to sit down and talk with. But it happens at least every month, but lately it's been happening, I think, two or three times this month. Where someone will say, in, in this conversation, I'm a little confused as to what my purpose is. Or I'm struggling with what my purpose is. And I, I'm, I'm not sure I can peg it down. I've been doing this, whatever this is, a long time, and it's not working like I thought it would. Or maybe you're young, and you're, looking, you're not necessarily looking back on your life or in your, the middle of your life, but you're looking forward onto your life, and you're asking that question, what should I do? What, what am I here for? Right? And in terms of stewardship, that's the same question. That we're asking as a church during every October, yeah, we talk about money. Absolutely, we should. The Bible talks about it. But we're also talking about our whole lives. And in this passage this morning, John gives an answer that's going to shock us. And it plays deeply into one of the big core values of the King's Church, which is we want to live on purpose. God says that when we were created, that we were created for something. See, some of the great, one of the greatest temptations that you and I have is to feel like God is distant, that he's far away, that he doesn't care about your specific life. You just won't find that on the pages of the Bible. In fact, it says that when God created man, he, he created us in his image, and he called us out of all of his creation very good. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, Let us... Make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. You were created on purpose with a purpose. Made in the image of God. Nothing else else is like that. And if I was preaching on that passage, we'd talk about all the ins and outs of what that even means to be created in the image of God. But then, did you see what you get to do? What he puts you in charge of? Humanity? What does what humanity put? Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You have a purpose. And then later on, he says, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, fill the earth with more image bearers of God. And then in Psalm 8, verse 5, he says this, that that he, the author talking about us, speaking to God, though, says, You made him, that is human beings, you made them a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. How about that? That God has made your life. He's made you. He cares about you. And he wants to crown you with glory and honor. In other words, he, you have a purpose. You have a distinct purpose that God has given. And if you fulfill it, the end of your life comes glory and honor. Maybe even some in the middle. God's created us for a specific purpose. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read, For we are God's workmanship, his craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared beforehand. And John the Baptist, his influence is waning. And you would think he would be upset about that. He'd be upset because his, his, his time is fading in the limelight. But John knows his purpose. And actually, that was what was supposed to happen. And the shocking thing in this passage is how much joy it brings him. And that's what I want for you. I want you to see in this passage God's purpose for you. I want you to see in in this passage that there is great joy in finding your purpose and being able to rest in that. But enough of hearing me talk. Let's hear God talk. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. This is God's word. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon, near Selim, because there was plenty of water. And the people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew of the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, Well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that. I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy. Is mine. And it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God and God gives Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. The grass withers and the flower fades. but The word of our Lord will stand forever. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray together now asking that you would help the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together over this, your word, that you would accept it as acceptable in your sight, that you would help us with it, that you would glorify yourself with this time, and that you would help us worship you over the word now. This we pray in Jesus' name. I love teaching people. I love coaching. It's just part of part of who I am, right? Um, I, it's just uh, it's one of the reasons why I think God called me into this profession is, is I love to teach, and as a teacher, I love it. May helping people make connections. You, you know whenever you face a problem in life that you're, you're confused about trying to get something done, you're confused about something going on in your life, and you're looking for a solution to that problem, and there's oftentimes this time where there's a gap between the solution and the problem, and you're frustrated and frustrated and frustrated until the stars align. And you see this thing you've never seen before, you understand how it works, and everything works out well. This can be something small uh, that, that's happened Like you make an adjustment, like I'm working with my kids right now in in the basketball and being able to shoot a basketball. And oftentimes when you're coaching a sport, you can make a small little adjustment and it changes everything. You put your elbow a little bit further away from your body and all of a sudden your shot gets automatically better. There's a connection made, right? And when that happens, it's like magic. This little thing that you connect the dots with and all of a sudden everything makes sense. Sometimes it's, it's not the concept itself, it's just the person who says it. As a parent, you've probably been frustrated, or maybe even as a friend, you've been frustrated before, because you're trying to help someone with a problem, and then they come back to you after hanging out with someone else, and goes, I solved it, this is what they said to do, and you're in your mind, in your sanctified moment, you don't say anything, right, when you're like, oh, that's wonderful, honey, but most of the time, what comes out? How many times have I told you that? Right? I've told you that so many times. But it it wasn't that the information was new. It was that the source, for some reason, made that connection. Or maybe it is a connection in general. I know this has happened to me in so many different areas where someone has said something and it's clicked. Well, in our passage, John the Baptist makes the connection between finding satisfaction in our purpose in life. Title of the sermon I call Joyful Humility. In this passage, John reveals that he has found deep satisfaction in God's purpose for him. And here's a big idea. You ready? There is a deep connection between finding satisfaction in Christ and finding satisfaction in your life. There is a deep connection between finding satisfaction in Christ. And finding satisfaction with your life. All of us deeply want to feel that our lives mean something. We want to know that that we're satisfied. And the question that we all ask ourselves is how do you get that? How do you get that type of satisfaction? We want to know after every day when we put our head on the pillow at night that the day we lived meant something. We want to look back on our lives and, and see things that we're proud of. But how do we do that? Because the reality is, and if you've got some gray hairs on top of your head, you've experienced this, that oftentimes what is sold to us either by our own hearts or the people around us as the most satisfying things are either fragile or not that satisfying we might work so hard and figure out this is our purpose this is what we're going to do i'm going to start this or accomplish this or do this or make this or whatever and then we get it find out it really wasn't that special to begin with and ask the question now what in our passage this morning john sees the ascension of christ the glory of his ministry superseding his and confesses deep satisfaction with that. Three points this morning. Number one, the sting of doubting your purpose. The sting of doubting your purpose. Number two, the joy of receiving your purpose. And then number three, the grace of God's purpose for you. The sting of doubting your purpose, the joy of receiving your purpose, and the grace of of God's purpose for you. Point number one: the sting of doubting your purpose. In this first pass, in this beginning of this passage, the the. Uh Jesus just talked to Nicodemus. Jesus has just cleared the temple. Uh, there's so many things that have happened in these first couple chapters. Jesus turned the water and the wine in chapter 2. And Passover is over, and now Jesus is moving on with the rest of his ministry. And he leaves and goes north. He's in Jerusalem, and he goes north a little bit, uh, a ways where there's some water. And he's, he's with his disciples there, and they're, and they're baptizing. Okay. And then, uh, in verse in chapter four, if you've got a copy of God's Word, if you'd scan down just a couple verses to the beginning of chapter four, this is what we read: The Pharisees heard that Jesus. Verse one of chapter four: The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus who was baptized, who baptized, but his disciples. So. There is baptisms going on, but we learn in that verse that it's not actually Jesus who's doing the baptisms. Okay, it's not actually Jesus who's doing the baptisms in this in this situation. The question that you might be asking, the question I asked was, why is Jesus doing these baptisms? And what do they mean? Well, the passage really doesn't tell us a whole lot other than the fact that Jesus didn't do the baptism, that it was that his disciples were. But what well, what we can assume from the context is that they were context is that they were similar to what John was doing with his baptism. So what was John's baptism about? Okay, what was John's baptism about? I think the reason that Jesus didn't do the baptisms, by the way, was that he didn't want to confuse people with the new covenant baptism, which was going to come. Okay, the symbol of our faith. Is of entering into the faith, either as a child of believing parents or as a believer in Christ, is baptism. And Jesus, one of his last commands is to go on all the nations and make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the reasons he doesn't is he doesn't want to confuse those two things. But what's going on? Okay, John's baptism, and I think that the the, the baptism that's going on here was a baptism of preparation and repentance, preparation and repentance. We talked about this a few chapters ago. This was all of John's ministry. Luke chapter 3, verse 3, he went into all the country and around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And then later on in that same chapter, in verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Christ. And John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I is coming, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, this is what John's saying. He's saying, my baptism is here just simply to get you ready. You see, the predominant idea at the time in the nation of Israel amongst God's people is the predominant idea that still exists today that we need to get ourselves right before God in order to be accepted by him. If we can just do enough good things, if we can just clean our life up enough, then God will be happy with us. The problem is that the scriptures don't teach that at all. From Genesis to Revelation, that is never the teachings of the scriptures, but it, it, it was what they were holding on to. And they had created all these traditions around the law of God so that they could try to keep it better. And it, A big aspect of the Old Testament law was being clean, beginning before God, getting into God's presence. You're sinful and dirty, and there's got to be a way to make yourself clean. And there was all these laws around that. They didn't feel clean enough, so they added more laws around it. And John the Baptist comes into the scene and says, you guys are getting it all wrong. There's a Messiah to come. You know the one that was talked about way back in Genesis chapter 3? From the beginning, there's a Messiah to come. My job's to prepare the way. You need to repent of your sins because there's a spiritual cleansing. Y'all are worried about cleansing your hands and bodies. There's a spiritual cleansing that's going to happen. It's only going to happen by the blood of the Lamb of God and by the ways here. Okay? That was John's ministry. That was John's ministry. Okay, was to prepare. The, this, the baptism was a symbol of the spiritual cleansing that needed to happen. And in verse 24, we read that it was before John the Baptist was put in the prison. He, John the Baptist pulled no punches, he said exactly what he needed to say. And so Herod had his, brother and his brother's wife and John the Baptist was asked about that. He was asked his opinion about that. And he said, it's sinful. You don't need to do it. Herod didn't like that. Put it in prison. Eventually cut his head off. Okay? And this was, the only reason this is mentioned is because this is before that happened. Okay? And then in verse 25, we see that an argument develops between John the Baptist's disciples... And a man who's there over this, these ceremonial washings. This is the same Greek word that we find in chapter 2. Remember when Jesus filled up the jars and turned it into wine? Those jars were used for ceremonial washing. Okay? Same thing, they're trying to figure out how to be clean and it probably had a connection to the baptism and this guy is probably coming to them saying, what is this baptism actually about and now what if Jesus is now baptizing, what's going on is, and so what happens is the disciples of John, they give an answer to this guy, they get in an argument, they get into debate but what actually happens and this is actually one of the things that can happen from arguments, it's actually a positive thing is you talk to someone and you hear their arguments, all of a sudden you start doubting what you really believe. Now, sometimes that can be a positive thing. It's actually what happened to John's disciples. They go to John after this discussion happens, and, and they, they say to him, they, in verses um, 26, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well... He is baptizing, and everyone's going to him. You see, these men had bet their life on following John. It probably wasn't a popular thing to do. His message is harsh. His lifestyle was harsh. And they bet their life on it. And then there's a lot of influence that came with that. They saw thousands of people were even coming, and they were helping. Or maybe that's why they joined up in the first place. was because thousands of people were coming. And now... The people are leaving, and so they're doubting. It, did I devote my life to the right thing? Did I really devote my life to the right thing? And they come to him, and they say, what are you going to, John, what, what are you going to do now that, that everything is going away? It's funny. They don't ask that question. They just make an observation. You know how your kids will do that. They won't ask the question. They'll just make the observation, you know, there are cookies over there. Would you like one? You know, they're, not, they're really just saying, oh, yes, you know, I have that. My wife does that to me with furniture. You know, that couch is for sale. Thank you for that piece of information, you know, really asking a question. You know what I mean? That's what's happening right there. Do you know that more people are going to be baptized by Jesus? The question they're asking is, does our lives still matter? Are, are we still, did we waste? What's going on? okay there's this doubt that what's the point aren't you worried about this shift don't don't we need to do something and there is a sting here about doubting their purpose and what I'd like to encourage you to do today is to ask yourselves the questions that I'm sure they were asking themselves There is a sting about doubting our purpose that could be God's instrument in your life to make some changes. And what I would ask you to do is don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore that sting. You know, one of the main tools I think the devil uses in our lives, or the wicked part of ourselves, our sinful nature, the flesh, as the Bible calls it, is distraction we can constantly have something with our phones or social media or whatever we can constantly have something to do and so we never really take the time to reflect or we live in a, in a faster-paced society than we have before right depending on what part of the country you're in it goes even faster and we rarely take the time to think and evaluate our lives I, I think that's one of the reasons why God says, says one day in seven you need to rest so that you can evaluate What's going on in your life? Take that time. Take a walk. Grab a journal and a pen if that's what you do or what you need to try. And ask the questions that are being asked, uh, that John the Baptist's disciples are asking in this question. Feel the sting of the question, am I living a life worth living? Is this my purpose that I need to go? Don't ignore it until it's too late. Evaluate your life. The sting of doubting your purpose can be a great blessing in your life. It's actually what opened up what John the Baptist has to teach his disciples, which is the second point. big idea today is there's a deep connection between finding satisfaction in Christ and finding satisfaction in your life. We just looked at the sting of doubting your purpose. Now let's look at the joy of receiving it. Verse 27. To this, John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. Two questions that I think John gives us in this section is how to find your purpose and what it feels like when you find it. How to find your purpose and what it feels like when you find it. He says, A man can only receive What is given him from heaven, and this is the hardest part, well, I don't know about the hardest, but it is a hard, a hard part about discovering your purpose, okay? Listen to me, I know this is going to be hard. Our purpose is is received, not discovered. Our purpose is received, not discovered. He says here, he's talking about, he's talking about what, what the ministry that God has given him, the things that God has given him to do here on earth, which are being questioned. Hey, what's going on? These more people are going to Jesus now. What's going on? And he's saying, listen, I can only do what's been given me from heaven. I mean, listen, if our influence is waning, that's not up to me. That's, that's God. And in, in, in this, we're seeing this, this reality that our purpose is received, not discovered. Let me play this out a little more. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read about our creation. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. All that's a way to say we were created by God. We were created by God. We are simply creatures of his making. So who gets the call the shots in terms of our purpose? You know, one of my prized possessions is a hammer that my grandfather had, and I use it all the time. Hammer is an instrument specifically designed by a craftsman for a specific purpose. The hammer doesn't decide what its purpose is. The creator does. And the same is true for you. You're a creation of God. And he has given you a purpose. And we'll see in just a minute, it's a glorious one. Romans chapter 9, verse 20. But who are you, a man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to he who formed it, why did you make me like this? The illustration that's used time and time in this passage in the scripture is the, the pot saying to the clay, don't make me like that. That's not how it works. We receive our purpose from God. Friend, let me say this to you. I don't want you to live under the illusion because it's not helpful for you that you have that much control over your life. The reality is that you don't need to discover your purpose within yourself or from other places, that God has already given it to you. You receive your purpose. God has given purposes to all of humanity. Worship God, love God. He summarizes it for us, makes it real simple. Love God, love people. Obey God. Do, do, live in companionship with people. Do good work. If, love, be- have beautiful families. Love God, love people. Serve God, serve the church, serve the people. Work hard. Trust God, obey God in all things. These are your primary purposes. And they will give you everlasting joy. And then God has also wired you in a specific way. And if you trust him and follow him throughout the course of your life, God will lead you into the specifics. But that's our purpose. And one of the struggles that we're having specifically right now is that we self-declare or identify as the popular word that's being used right now with what our purpose is. I am this, or I do this in other words i can determine for myself what my purpose is well the problem is you're not the creator god's a creator let's keep on a little more specific here verse 28 you yourselves can testify that i said i am not the christ but am sent ahead of him john had this he understand that he wasn't the one who was ever supposed to be in focus that Christ was the one who was supposed to be in focus. focus. And he said, for, he was, John Baptist was set apart from his birth to, to, to exalt Christ and to prepare the way for him. His whole ministry, his whole purpose was to prepare the way for someone else. He's been like a broken record. Y'all need to repent of your sins. I'm preparing the way. I'm preparing the way. And the men who were closest to John didn't even get it. Same thing happened with Jesus' disciples. And he is taking time and patience right now to say, well, I don't know where y'all have been. But this was always my purpose, and I'm fine with that. This was always my purpose, was to to exalt Christ. What does it feel like when you receive your purpose from God? Verse 39, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. John's giving this illustration to help his disciples understand. This is what your purpose is. If you understand your purpose, there's joy there. If you get it mixed up, there's pain. We've all watched these rom-coms where the best man falls in love with the bride. What happens? What happens? chaos. Think about the passage we read as our scripture lesson this morning. And Joseph was put in charge of Potiphar's house of everything except what? His wife. And Joseph's life got worse when he denied her advances, but it would have been a whole lot worse if he had accepted them. And the first thing out of John's mouth is, the bride's not for me. These people are going to the one who's going to be their husband. The bride's not for me. And he goes, and I'm pumped about my position. He asked me to be the best man. You know, there's a lot of honor in being asked to be the best man at a wedding. The best man. You know, I was a groomsman in several weddings when right after we graduated college. And a lot of us were getting married. And, and it, was a, it was a position filled with a lot of honor. I had a lot of joy in that. We, we, me and another friend who we were in a lot of weddings together, and we, we made it kind of our purpose to make sure on the wedding day that everything went okay for the groom as best as we can. We made sure that there was a problem. He didn't know about it. We solved it, made sure that everything was taken care of. We made sure he had a good time, you know, good conversation. We had, and he was you know, just able to enjoy that really special day. right? And when his bride walked down the aisle... We were excited, and we were glad to be there. But it would have been a different day if we wanted his soon-to-be wife, wouldn't it? That would have been a different day entirely. John is saying, I am so content with the mission that God has given me. There's so much honor in what he has for me. I don't need that. The bride is for Jesus. It's not for me. What is happening is what is supposed to happen. This is as it should be. You know, I have two little girls, and one day, Lord willing, they're going to get married. And, you know, when I think about that day, I get angry and sad all at the same time. And, but one day, it'll, it'll be hard, but it'll be as it should be. And they'll, I'll get to walk them down the aisle And I will have done as best I can to prepare them for that moment, and I pray that God will have a a godly, strong, humble man that loves her more than he loves his life, his, his self. And when I transfer that authority from me to him, I'll lose a bit. It won't be the same anymore. The influence I had, it's not like I won't have any influence, but the influence won't be the same anymore, will it? but it's as it should be. That's the way it was designed. And that's what's happening to John the Baptist right now. His whole goal has been to exalt Christ, and he did his job. He fulfilled his purpose. And as the influence wanes, it's hard, but it's as it should be. And he is—he has, look at what he says here. He says that his joy is complete. His joy is complete. He's got incredible, deep, satisfying joy over his life and what he's got to do. Here's something I want you to hear. If John the Baptist would have desired Jesus' ministry, he would have missed out on the excellent ministry that God had given him and the blessings and satisfaction that it came with it. i say that again. If John the Baptist would have desired Jesus' ministry, then he would have missed out on the excellent ministry that God had given him and the blessings, joy and satisfaction that came from it. And when you think about your purpose in life, I want to encourage you to think in a similar way. God has created you to serve him. God has created you to exalt him. God has created you to love other people. God has created. That is a beautiful purpose. The illustration that is predominantly given in, in, in the uh, in scriptures and in Revelation, we sing about it all the time, is that one day we're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And he's going to put a crown of glory upon our heads. And because of our love for God and our ability to serve God, is just going to be overwhelmed when we're actually in His presence. We're going to take it off and throw it at His feet. That's your purpose. Brother and sister, that's your purpose, and there is deep joy and satisfaction there, even if your life isn't as successful in other areas as you'd hoped it would have been. In verse thirty, he says, "He must be greater, and I must become less." Or that the translation that I like it sounds the best. Maybe it's some of yours. He must increase, and I must uh, he must increase, and I must disc- decrease. I think one of the struggles that we have. When it comes to humility, is we have a wrong view of it. We view humility almost as self-hatred. Like if I can make myself kind of low and feel bad or look bad for other people, that's what humility is. But that's actually not what humility is at all. Humility is actually just being doubtful about yourself or a modest or low view of one's importance. It doesn't mean that you're not significant. God thinks you're so significant that, the, that Jesus was willing to come down from heaven and bleed for you. That's pretty significant. But you understand you're not the center of the universe. You have a modest view of yourself. In other words, you see yourself as God sees you. You know that you're not divine, but you're precious. That you're deeply sinful and flawed. And yet at the same time, you're worth redemption and you're redeemable and you're justified in the blood of Christ. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So, let's summarize. How do I discover my specific purpose? Okay, that's the question we're asking. How do I discover my specific purpose in life? Here are the principles that we learn from this passage. Number one, receive it from God. He's your creator. You don't define it. He does. Two, exalting Christ is the greatest purpose that you can have. It was for John the Baptist. Number three. You will be unhappy chasing something that you were not designed for. The bride was meant for the bridegroom, not the best man. God will give you, number four, God will give you great honor and deep satisfaction if you pursue His purpose for you. And number five, humility is the key to finding your purpose. Quit looking for your purpose and start reading your Bible and asking God and obeying what He has revealed to you. Okay? So about specific purpose, let me just say this. A lot of us want to know specifically what are we supposed to do in life, specifically, what am I supposed to do? all these other things. And God is here, and God is, God is here and can teach you all of those things. but get these things straight first and seek the Lord, and He'll iron out the details. And here's what I want you to hear me say. I'm going to read it just because I want you to don't stress so much about finding the perfect purpose. Bring your purpose your love for God and love for people to whatever's in front of you. Trust the Lord and make adjustments. Bring that purpose to whatever God has put before you. Trust his mysterious providence working out in your life. Because sometimes it is mysterious, okay? And do well what's ever put in front of you and trust God in the rest of the details. And he'll lay out some of the specifics of your life, okay? Okay? Now, the last point. The question is, how can I trust that God's purpose is best for me? You told me how to find it and all that stuff, okay. How can I trust that that that's best for me? There is a deep connection between finding your satisfaction in Christ and having satisfaction with your life. Point number three, the grace of God's purpose for you the verses 31 through through 32 i'll read them real quick the one who comes from above is from above and the one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth and the one who comes from heaven is above all he testifies to what he has seen and heard but no one accepts his testimony the point here is that john is saying listen here's how you can trust god's purpose for you here's how i've trusted my purpose john says Jesus is from heaven and he's everything. And he came down here to earth. He's the one who's above all. He's the one who owns everything. He's the one who's given the purpose. You can trust that. He owns everything. If he's the one who's going to give you purpose, you can trust that. Secondly, the the beauty of the grace of God coming down. We talk about that every Christmas, don't we? The beauty of the grace of God coming down. The creator has come down. You can trust his advice. There is no greater purpose than to serve the one who is above all. I'm going to be honest with you. It's a little hard being around Josh right now because his bulldogs are really good. right? The bulldogs are just whooping tail and taking names. And it's a little frustrating to be around Josh right now. Why? because he's associated with the winners. And I'm a Gamecock fan, and I'm not. Okay? But here's the reality. One of the most deeply satisfying things that you can do in your life is to be associated with the ones who have the power and the authority and the glory. There is no one with more of that than Jesus Christ. You can trust him. Verse 32 and... 33 we read he testifies to what he has seen and heard but no one accepts his testimony people aren't believing the man who accepts it has certified that God is truthful for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God for God gives the spirit without limit the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands he's saying if you're not willing to accept Jesus as the Messiah the divine son of God the one who's above all then you are calling God a liar The reference that he's putting here is to John's baptism. is to Jesus' baptism. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened up. I don't know what that means. It's more than just the clouds. The heavens opened up, and God proclaimed with an audible voice, This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And so what John is saying is if you're denying who Jesus is, then you're you're calling the God who did that a liar. First John five verse ten, we read: Anyone who believes in the Son has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe, God has made him, God believe God has made him out to be a liar, because he has not believed the testimony God has given about His Son. Okay, so if you, if you don't believe this, you're, the, what John's saying here is: If you don't believe this, you're calling God a liar. Here's the reality. John says that Jesus, one, of Jesus, one of the things Jesus does is going to give the Spirit in fullness. And there's a lot there, and I'm not going to touch it much of it. I'm just going to say this. One of the jobs of the Spirit is to give us joy and satisfaction. And Jesus is going to make the way through his death to have that in fullness. Last question. What I want you to see is the grace and glory that there is in serving God. In this life. All of these things. That God is hes above all. He's he's in all. the, The humility. The presence. It comes. That you can have a purposeful and abundant life right now. John chapter 10 verse 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I, Jesus says, come that they may have life. And have it to the full. And the other reality about the grace of God's purpose for your life. Is it extends beyond the grave. The final verse in this chapter, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath rests on him. My deepest plea to you today is that you would embrace Jesus by a living and active faith so that you can have everlasting life forever, and abundant life, purposeful life, right now. The key and purpose to understanding your purpose is to understand Jesus' purpose in coming here in the first place. I can't say it any better than the author of Hebrews who says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Here's the reality. Here's how you can trust God's purpose for your life is because Jesus' purpose for coming here was to redeem it. You can trust that God. John the Baptist's disciples were doubting their purpose. and Maybe some of you are here today. Take the time. Don't ignore the sting of that. Evaluate your life. Let me ask you these final questions. Have you embraced Jesus Christ through faith? Have you turned from your sins to follow him? That's not your story. Before you can find out what the purpose is for your life, you've got to answer that question. For those of you who have embraced Christ, I want you to know the joy and satisfaction that your life matters. John the Baptist did. And you can too. He made the connection. There's a deep connection between finding satisfaction in Christ and finding satisfaction with your life. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And as we turn to the Lord's Supper now, God, we would ask that you would help us to worship you in in this sacrament, which is a symbol of your purpose in coming to this earth, to live and die and bleed on our behalf. So help us, Lord, even as we continue to worship you, through the Lord's Supper. We pray in Jesus' name.